What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John. And uh, unfortunately, Dan couldn't be with me this week for this episode. Some life things happened between the two of us and uh, just couldn't align schedules to get an intro outro recorded for you. But have no fear. Uh, we will be back next week with Dan fully on board and uh, some more discography discussions being done as well. So hopefully uh, you've been enjoying those with me now being a part of the discography discussion crew. And uh, yeah, this episode, speaking of crew, is with my longtime friend, Chad Nice field of the band Wilson. Um, they have a new record coming out, So Long, Good Night, live. It is a live recording of their last show that they recorded at the Crowfoot Ballroom. And, um, you know, I know these guys and have known these guys for a very long time. Uh, I've known Wilson since even before Chad was in the band. And is a thing where those dudes are some of my best friends. Um, it's been crazy to see the 10 plus year journey that they were on. And, you know, everything I've done in the music industry, and you'll kind of hear me say it to Chad, um, you know, Chad is kind of a direct result of any of the things I've gotten to do. Um, you know, I ended up booking a show of them. I ended up booking a show for them here in my house. And the way I ran it really impressed Chad, who, you know, works for a real venue and was like, why aren't you doing shows at venues? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And he goes, you essentially just did it. Like, yo, like if you want to do a show, the next show you want to do, let me know. I'll get you in contact with who you need to get in contact with and, uh, you know, have you get on your way with this. So that's kind of how Chad's always been for me. He's always kind of been there to help me uh, navigate this this music industry thing. And actually, the podcast kind of even started roughly with an interview we did that I used for a feature I was writing. Um, and then I was like, well, I have this audio. Like, I guess I can put that out eventually. So it was a thing where preemptively, even though it was for a written feature on the band, Chad was one of my first podcast guests uh, indirectly. So it just kind of seemed like since the, the band and I have kind of interwoven through each other's histories, that it felt kind of... Like, it needed to happen where we talked about the end, basically, of Wilson and, and what caused it and why it happened um, and all those kind of things. And basically, the year since, this was a chat like it always is with Chad and I uh, and a lot of the dudes where it's funny and vulgar and somewhere in, in it, we also find a way to be very sincere and honest with each other. And it's one of those things that I love about the medium sometimes where you basically get to hear people having a conversation and uh, kind of explaining some stuff that, you know, maybe they're going through or thinking or whatever and kind of getting a real behind the scenes look at some of this stuff. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get into the chat with Chad. Uh, I don't like talking a whole lot when Dan's not here to bounce stuff off of. So um, without further ado, this is my conversation with Chad of Wilson. We'll talk to you guys on the other side of it. Same, same. Well, uh, you don't have. Do you have anyone right after this, or at some time after? Uh, I have. What was it? For, you were. I had you down at four twenty to five, but there's something at five fifteen. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure so I can keep track of time. 
Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'll get into it then. I only wrote about 20 minutes worth of questions because Christine was like, you get 20 minutes. And I was like, mm, I'm sure it'll go longer, but whatever. Fine. Christine. Uh, yeah. Um, I was like, so, 420. That's funny. I thought it was you because I was yeah. like, why did you have it down at 420? Uh, maybe that's when he just does his interviews or something because it's funny. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. I'll smoke she, weed. She was like, four, four, four to six. And I was like, well, let's just do four. Like, get it started right away. So strange. I wonder if that was just a, a typo on her end then. Uh, well i have the uh, pleasure of once again talking to chad nicefield aka chatty daddy of uh wilson uh i guess now also of uh i always just want to call it rock the boat and i know that's, <laughs> I know that's or not, ship ride. yeah i know that's not what it yeah. is but i was like oh it's like something funny like rock the boat or something like that but yeah it's uh, about in rocks that makes yeah. sense um yeah. no, i'm big leah fan so it makes even more sense for me but mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. We're here to really talk about the uh, Posthumous live album, Thank You, Good Night Live, uh, which will be available January 29th. Uh, I didn't see who was releasing it, so I'm assuming this is a self-released uh, live album. It's funny. Um, it's myself and our management. We, oh. we made a label. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the administrator, and they're helping me market it, man. It's, it's fun. It's been fun, like, a, rolling it out in that area and getting in, like, not, not only to, like, be involved with, the creation, the editing, the mixing, the mastering, all of that, but also to like distribute it. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm going behind the scenes and like being like, Oh, that's what an ISRC code is and things <laughs> like that. You know? Yeah. It's fun. Is the ISRC code. If I know any of my stupid shit, right. That's the stuff that uh, directly correlates to like iTunes and your, your outlets and providers and so forth. Yeah. It's the number that essentially tra- is traces back the royalties. Okay. And then the, an ISWC is the whole, uh, is the body of work is the work itself like what would gotcha. be like dump truck has an isr uh, iswc code for the actual album um release so that that code is the same as the live version it's just that isrc is the code that like separates the two different versions yeah. so it's interesting when you start getting into technicalities of things like that you know i've joined my co-host podcast in uh one of the episodes for uh a band that we're discog- discussing their discography for is deaf and I've never listened. I'm listening to so much more technical and death metal stuff that I've never fucking listened to, even though it's like 30, 40 years old at this point. And I'm kind of Which like death because like, there's two of them. Not not the band from Detroit, death, uh, okay. like the, the death yeah. metal band from Florida. And yeah. uh, it's been kind of weird because it's like, you know, I go on iTunes and it'll have like scream bloody gore, but then it'll be the actual album that came out as it is in like it's nine songs, but then they have like a holy shit. Wow. Deluxe version with like 50 fucking songs, like the basement demo, the, the pseudo demo, the pre pro demo, the live recording plus the album. And you're like, holy shit. Why are there like three different iterations of this one fucking record? And like, God, the royalties alone on all that must be a real clusterfuck. Well, it's funny because like, you know, um, nobody gives a shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But like they do, you know, like in what I'm saying, like in that area is like, man, there's like some fucking nerds out there. And, and I love music, but like the well, I love music, but I love being a nerd about music, I should say. But like the idea of what you're talking about when somebody's like, there's a basement demo and then a motherfucking Todd's house demo is like, OK, I guess like if you're really into a band. Right. I mean, if it was I bought everything that I could, whether it was legal or not from Nirvana when I was growing up. So I guess like I would go to my fucking um, local record store and, and pull out was, was now I understand as a 
illegal bootleg of like their live show that this fucking hack in the store just like burnt onto a CD and my dumb ass is followed as well as everybody else who just come in and buy it, you know? And that I see why it makes sense. It's just like, how many of those do you want to buy? You know, like, well, if you're a Pearl Jam fan, you know, there's like one I guess it never ended the tour of from ever and, you know, their official bootlegs or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, Vetter's been fucking reselling the same piece of diarrhea for like fucking uh, you know, 20 years or something. Uh, and what, when did uh, that first record come out? Live came out like what, 91 or 92? Oh, so like 30 years, 30 years. And like, you know, like you're right, because they'll probably just find another fucking recording from a task cam from the 80s of Jeremy that is like, this is the original baseline. And then some fucking hack will go spend three hundred dollars of his fucking child's (laughs) college fund on a shitty fucking and and it didn't lose his. I mean, his wife will definitely leave him. You know, you know, that this was actually like the first verse. He took out seven words. So uh, this is the original, original, original pre pro version of Alive. Oh my god! I thought that was really something. Hey, my dad's calling me. Okay. Can I answer this real quick? Yeah, Dennis. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Can you hear me? I'm live on a, on a podcast, so don't say anything stupid or say something really stupid. Actually, for balls. <laughs> Dirty Dennis, everybody. Hey, uh, can I call you back after this uh, podcast is done? Oh, I'm always last. God damn it. Hey man, if you ain't first, you're last. You know. Can I call you? Can I call me back? What the hell is going on? I can I can definitely say that he can't hear you because of the headphones, uh, John. Uh, But hey, Dad, I just want to say I love you and bye. All right, love you too. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. I think you're I think you're a shining example that he didn't come in last once at least. Oh, boom. (laughs) I should have said that because he that's always, what I was trying to like, that's what I was trying to get through real me. quick. So I was like, oh, you can Damn. at least like between you and your sister, I can t- I know that that's definitely a lie at least one or two times. I'm calling him back. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. That's that's great. Oh, I almost called my friend, not my dad. Hold on. That would have been awkward. This good. This is good. This is good content for the for the uh, podcast if you like. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can hear it. Oh, he's not going to answer because he's mad. <laughs> hey, hey, Dad, I'm still on live. But uh, the guy I'm doing this podcast with right now, his name's uh, John. You might have met him in some point. He knows who you are. Uh, but so John just said something so profound to me, and I thought I'd call you back and tell you. He said, you said that you always come in last. And the truth of the matter is that you must have at least came in first one time because uh, I'm proof of that. Oh, shit. I told the bitch to swallow. <laughs> Goodbye, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Well, um, <laughs> fair enough. There, there is that. Dirty Dennis, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, has he been on your podcast at all? I don't think I've heard him on anything. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, we have only had like, of the non like um, ta- talent stuff things, you know, like my dad's talented plenty, but he hasn't been talented on a ship, I guess yet. But um, he, we, we have not had like uh, many of the like like randos, you know. So I mean, maybe I should bring him on there. He yeah. complain about why he has he hasn't been on the ship yet. He likes to do. Well, it I mean, he here. seems to be plenty of fan of seamen. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Damn, that was fucking ice fucking cold. I love it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're actually here to talk about the live album, which we started and then got segued into uh, Eddie Vedder milking, you know, the teats of every fucking cash cow he can find. And you know uh, milk porn, milking porn is, by the way. Oh, yeah. Milking tables. Devin, you seen the uh, I had to explain Ooh. it to my wife when uh, Dave, have you watched Dave? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when they started doing that and she's like, oh, I got some for you. And he's I was like, oh, it's a milking table. She's like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's a it's a thing where you put a dick down and just start <laughs> milking it. Say, Do you watch that? John? She would probably be absolutely appalled at the shit I watched just out of curiosity alone. But did she ask you that? Because I did no. the same thing with Kim. I was like, we were watching it uh, during the lockdown and we were in Los Angeles together. And she's I'm like super into little Dickie. I always have. And she has yeah. been, too. But like the show came on. Like, I finally got her to like watch something with me it, like that show because she never wants to watch usually what I'm into. Uh, and she was like, what is this? And I said, it, oh, it's like a th- I called it. Right. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to do a milking table. She's like, what's that? And I was like, it's, uh, it's a thing like it. It's like a glory hole on a table. <laughs> yeah. I tried to explain it to her, and then the scene came up, and, and I was like, see, they're doing it. And she's like, you watch that? And I was like, I mean, I mean, I'm not jerking off to it, you know? Like, just shut the fuck up. You, you watch something, you know, like that. So I got super defensive about it. I'm like, yeah, fine. You fucking call me. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, I don't really know a good, a good porn segue to... Uh, you know, Every segue I, is a good porn segue. Yeah, I mean, I mean stay in bed right after whatever you say. I mean, you know, we're just trying. I'm just trying to milk uh, any segue right now to get back to the conversation. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> but anyway, um, so let's the- edge right back into it. Oh, we're, we're uh, edging. All right. So, you know, you guys recorded this record, and initially the live album was meant more for just kind of a keepsake for the five of you. Uh, maybe six if you want to count. Uh, you know the the master of ceremonies um Mm -hmm. as well but how did this go from kind of becoming a personal keepsake to an official live album for the band if i'm gonna be super vain it sounded great super Uh, yes another point great uh we we were just edging around (laughs) uh so my uh my friend who's also a really really great front of house guy and he actually just finished at the time that he sent this song over his name's josh sobeck and uh he's uh he used to be a wilson front of house guy at one point he used to work for the crowfoot where i uh, had been employed before and he um uh, also now he's currently i prevails like tour manager front of house guy and he did their recent lot he mixed the live record that they just put out and so he had been already like familiar with like obviously live sound but you know now going into that headway and i was like man this is great and he sent me over the track uh, i actually forgot that we had ryan thomas who mixed us that night at the crowfoot who um has he's been around forever he's one of the best live engineers like in in all honest opinion like that i've ever heard in my life period and he's our crowfoot front of house um like fucking god there and uh we, we always try to get him to come on the road this is about ryan we always came try to get him to come on the road with us but you know he's booked at the crowfoot so in you know the money just never really made sense so we you know we end up, we end up taking somebody you know uh that was always really always really great front house guys but ryan did us a, a solid and mixed the last uh shows we had both in the ballroom and the pike room and he um he brought in a multi-track recorder because i asked if we could record him and uh, he recorded the, the both sets, and then I forgot about it. 
I never asked about it. He never brought up, brought it up. We just like moved on. Life happened. You know, a lot of life, crazy life happened after that. And uh, then one day I'm like, I'm literally walking to the corner store in around the, I'm here back in Detroit at this point after the pandemic hit in Los Angeles. I was stuck there from like March to June. And I was back here late June walking down to the corner store, just like jamming some tunes. And Josh sends me a text message. So back. And it's just like, check this out. And it says dump truck. It's a file in my little um, text thread with him. It says dump truck live. And I was like, what? And I hit play and I'm listening. I'm like, what? What is this? I said, where did you, what is this? Where'd you get this from? He's like, Eddie Vedder. <laughs> yeah. He's Eddie Vedder, bro. He loves your shit. He was there. He recorded it. <laughs> uh, he's like, it's your last show. It's from your last show. I said, how do you have this? And he's like, I mixed this. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh shit. We recorded that show. And then he's like, yeah, man, Ryan gave me, Ryan, you know, Ryan gave me the stems. And I was like, dude, this is fucking great. So I send it to a couple, I sent it to Jason. I said, check this out, bro. And he's like, this is awesome. And then uh, we started thinking more about it, you know, cause it, I did have the show literally tracked for this exact reason, but not to put a record out just so we had like something to listen to uh, as dudes, as we moved on to whatever our, you know, forward life uh, was going to be. And um, yeah, so then I sent it to our manager and he's like, dude, this fucking sounds great. I was like, yeah. He's like, do you think we should put a record out? And I said, can we? Because, you know, both the sets that we played that night, one was, one of them was right to, you know, we did half of it, right to rise, half of it, Tasty Nasty. Both of those records were released by um, an- labels, you know, ma- one a major label and the other one a pretty large um, I would even call them a major label because they ended up going to Concord. So we're like, shit, they're not going to let us, you know, release this on our own. And they fucking did. They just like, I, well, one, I looked at the contract for one of them and I was like, uh, uh, we're clear. We're good to go. They can't say shit. And the other one, they were super cool about it. And then we moved forward. I came back to Josh after we figured out that we could actually do it. And I was like, hey, man, you have any more of those songs? And he's like, none mixed, but I can send you the, uh, I can send you like bounced MP3s of them, the whole set. And we listened to it and we found, we found some that we were like, these are terrible. <laughs> no one should ever hear these. And we found some that were like, these are really great. And I think that like, maybe the fans would like, not just the people who were there, but the people who couldn't be there or just the people who like found Wilson throughout the years that couldn't even make it to a live show. It like, it captured that moment. Right. Um, of what our band stood for and how we presented ourselves um, perfectly. I thought, you know, when I look back at it all and I think about it, it was an emotional night. It was, I mean, specifically speaking, I cried three times and one of those times was on stage at the very end of our set. uh, And the last chorus of uh, the song house of fuckery from our, our record taste and nasty. And you could hear it like you could hear in my voice and only the guys in the band and me knew that 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 happened where like i couldn't even like my voice was giving out because it was crying so hard you know and i remember that last note when we played it you know house of fuckery boom bow and on that last hit i remember just having no more energy inside of me at that moment like it was so sad you know when you're so sad that like the world could end and it's going to be okay you know you just would rather it the microphone like fell out of my hand. Like I couldn't even keep my hand open. And uh, this sounds really dramatic, but I remembered it only because I was listening to it again and I could hear it in my voice and you hear the fucking microphone hit the floor. And it was like, 
oh man, this is so awful to hear again, you know, like for me, but like if somebody else doesn't hear it, that really cared about what the band stood for and essentially what the house of fuckery is, I would, it would, I would be doing us a huge disservice to the fans, the people who were showed up there and, and really did spread the word. Cause Wilson was that band. Wilson was a band that like, you might have not got it in the industry. You know, you might have not thought we were appropriate for radio or whatever it was. And we found our little spaces. Once we got into your home, I feel like to know us was to love us type sort of a thing. But mm-hmm. when you did like those fans, like our fans, they fucking did the work for the band, you know, I couldn't think of another way to celebrate that better than to give them what they deserve, which is to, to hear that moment. Absolutely. I know there are a lot of people that were bummed um, that they couldn't make it with obviously the shows and the whole day selling out um, very quickly. Um, we didn't you know, think that was going to happen, by the way. So we're like, should we do another one? And we're like, nah, bros, this is it. <laughs> All right, thanks. We'll see you tomorrow night for a night two. And everyone be like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was literally going, uh, like, leaving uh, right the next couple of days. I was going to fucking Philippines, the Philippines. So it's like, I I don't even think I can, you know? Yeah. Um, With uh, this obviously being from the last couple of shows that you, uh, or the last show that you had done, you know, I kind of want to go back. You've kind of already touched on it to, you know, the night itself and kind of some of the emotions and feelings that you had. But, what walk me through the process of coming to the realization that this is this as Wilson is done and how best to close that chapter for the band. Are you, do you want me to, to talk about it when we realize that like we were going to be done or do you want me to talk about it as in that day? So I guess my question is kind of both. It's a two-parter because what's interesting, and for those that maybe don't know uh, how you did the night, your last night, you did essentially three show, three sets in one night, kind of a career live curated retrospective, like playing in the smallest room to, and you played the sets that you would play back when you played those rooms. The next size room when you were doing basically, you know, rights rise to basically doing the main state, the main room uh, at the Crowfoot for, you know, what would be tasty, nasty and kind of where you were, at currently at that iteration of the band so it's kind of a thing of when you kind of realize you're going to call it a day and i guess at that point every band kind of starts going through the okay we're gonna i guess get the press release ready to go we're going to probably play one last show as long as everything's still good with everybody and then so it's kind of a how do you what how does that conversation start where you're like shit i I guess this is done right yeah i guess i'm yeah i think this is done to then all right how do we want to go out how how do we come up with the idea? How do you as Wilson come up with the idea? Let's do three sets, go in a chronological order of sorts, playing the rooms that we played for these certain eras of the band. It's funny to really do it, uh, not to bore everybody uh, here, but to really give the perspective, if you're listening and you, you want to hear it, I, I think I have to start at the place that was the darkest of their band, which is between our record right to rise and tasty nasty. And I won't go into a whole spiel here, but I, in order for me to answer your question, I should say I would need to give a quick, um, comb through. So coming off of right to rise, um, 
which was like for us our first taste of like what it is to be uh, uh, you know a modern rock and roll band uh, with radio you know with radio singles and you know actually doing it what you're kind of like you always dreamed of as a kid before that we had a record called full blast fuckery which was literally us not giving a fuck about anything you know like the that version of like this will never work because we were all kind of broken from other bands we had been through you know at, at that time when we started the band well when jason started the band in lansing uh and i had subsequently heard them play only because i booked them at the crowfoot in the pike room on like a new band night on a Sunday night where like local bands would play and they would sell tickets to play. You know, it was like a thing that we just had set up on Sundays for like the idea of, Hey, we can cover the room's cost if all bands just move 10 tickets. And then anything that they sell after that is theirs to keep. So we just didn't, couldn't do it to open up and lose money, but we could do it to like, Hey, here's five bands. This is a rock centric bill. You guys can sell 500 tickets. Well, it only holds 250 people, but you can sell 50 tickets and make, 400 bucks, you know, because they're $10 a pop. Just give us that $100 so we can cover the room fee. And if five bands do that, that'll take care of what we would, our operating costs. Right. So I would get, as a buyer, I would get um, emails like literally every day from local bands about getting on shows, you know, whatever cool, impressive, like national actors playing in the ballroom they wanted to open. And generally speaking, how we found those bands at, when we first started to open as the Crowfoot for those like spaces was out. I would put together a local bill of a specific different genre and then just be there. Right. We get to see them play live. We get to see like, are they really going to like put the work in that it takes to like really get there, uh, you know, and, and then reward the ones who do. Wilson was one of those. And uh, I was like there I was bartending actually, too, because I would bartend those nights. Uh, just to keep the the expenses down lower. Um, and Wilson was there and I was like, fuck, who the fuck is this? You know? And I was like, Oh, it drew uh, at the time, the bass player, he was uh, the guy who came into my office to pick up the tickets. And you know, I booked the show with, and he was in scrubs. Like he was like in nursing school. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I, to be honest with you, I probably listened to 10 seconds of their song that they, they sent me or whatever. It was just like, this is heavy. It could go on this Sunday night. Right. And then I was there. I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, they're great. So following that, I booked them for a couple other shows. I think like an Escape to Fate thing. And they crushed it. And then I was talking to Drew that night. And I said, hey, man, you guys are great, dude. He's like, yeah, we're just breaking up, you know, because the the singer at the time, uh, Julian, he was was leaving the band. And I was like, you know, I used to be in a screamo band because I did. I was in a band called With Rescue Breathing. And we toured with like the used and all that shit back in the day. And uh, I never thought at that point in time i would be going back in that direction because i was like into like pop and alternative rock much more than i was into anything like that and i was actually in a band called man and quail at the time which i played guitar in which very beatlesque pop band uh, i was like but i was like fuck i know how to scream <laughs> so i was like this shit's tight dude if you let me like try out or something I, I would love to so i did i tried out moving forward I got the gig, right? They sat me down at a Taco Bell, Jason and, and, and uh, Drew. And they're like, man, we loved you, man. You want to be in the band? And I was like, you know what? This would be really fun. These guys are fun. Playing in a college town because I went to college. Just fucking around. Making some rock and roll music would be cool. And it worked for some reason. People cared. Uh, that's how I met you, you know? And you booked us in another place. 
Well, we're not Lansing or not Detroit where I was living because they were all in Lansing. And then we got booked in another place and got booked in another place. And all of a sudden we were playing like a lot of shows. And then we started opening up for more nationals that I had nothing to do with at the time. And then we're like, well, we should probably fucking make a record. So we made a record. And at first it was supposed to be an EP. And that EP, this is a really long story. I'm sorry. But I'll get through it real quick. The EP turned into a full length through uh, help with uh, exactly your, <laughs> yourself, John, because at the time, we were recording with my friend Shane Rush, and we were just going to put like three or four songs out, you know, and put then put an EP out with six, you know, six songs at a later point. And then you had sent our shit to to Steve Ebbets, and Ebbets hit it back up, and you looped me in with them. And Steve is like, "Yeah, I love your shit, man. You guys want to do a record?" And at first, I was like, "I think this motherfucker's just fishing for work," you know, just <laughs> simply because that's how it works, right? Like, yeah. why do you want to record our band? And then I looked at a lot of his past shit. And he kind of came in at this at the early spaces with a lot of these bands or just as they were like finding their foot and he made it, he made it cooler. And I was like, maybe he sees another uh, story here for us, you know, like, and every time I die or Dillinger or all the things he had worked on at the time. And I was like, fuck it. We should do it guys. And I said, Hey man, we have four songs that we already have been doing with this guy. We want to make six, put six more on and make it a record we did we went out there and we did six songs with him uh and then it was time to make a record title and we couldn't come up with one and we'd already started at this point kind of touring but just like regionally you know with friends and shit like that and he uh he finished the record and one day i had a conversation and i said let's call it full blast fuckery nobody was into that and then we finally got i finally convinced them all to do it and we did it and then we put a record out and we that record turned heads a very distinct type of head you know, a very distinct type of like music listener. And we had never imagined even having this all happen to begin with. When I was in Taco Bell, shoving a fucking burrito down my face. And like, you want to be in the band, brother? Uh, so then moving on, it was time. Like we got found by, you know, who I'm actually Mike Gitter, who uh, at, was an A&R for many pro- prolific bands back in the day at Roadrunner. Actually, my old band. Uh, he had scouted out at one point and went and had meetings with him in, in New York. I knew him. He knew me. We did not. He did not know that I was that guy, though, you know, from the other band that he had talked to years ago. And as we we decided to sign the deal with Razor and Tie after being courted for, by a few different labels, um, we took the deal and we started making a record. We started writing songs for a record, uh, which we very much thought was going to be full blast fucker 2.0, essentially, you know. That kind of hit a wall with the label and the label is like, listen, this is great. It's not going to sell any records. <laughs> and I was like, so then why did you sign us? You know, and, <laughs> you know, like, it seems like you want to take a square and put it through a circle. And they're like, yeah, kind of essentially the nice way of saying that. And we're like, well, it's, you know what, guys, we never imagine. It's not like we have integrity here at this point in time. <laughs> we started playing music for free beer while you fuckers were going to college. And then we named a record Full Blast Fuckery. It beat on trash cans and bled on stages. Just like because I, I was so nervous that I didn't know. I was like, I don't know how to sing sing now. I'm just yelling and I'm losing my voice halfway through the set. So I'll just break something, you know. And hopefully somebody will be like, that was tight. And that's exactly what happened. So I was like, when we think about the integrity here, and I just knowing Jason as a songwriter, myself as a songwriter, uh, we didn't even think about it. Sorry, is my air conditioning go- heat start going up? And 
Okay. Yeah. I heard it in my ears. So we didn't even think about it any further at that point in time, other than like, let's fucking write songs. Let's you, let's write songs. Like, let's think about it, you know, like deeper than what we were thinking about. Cause we were thinking about it, but you got to imagine a song called college gang bang, which has literally nothing to do with about with college or gang bang inside of the lyrics was basically the ver- the, the laziest version of being like, I don't know what to call this song. So let's just right. use the demo title, which is what happened, right? So we just we decided to put it go in for us. Like, hey man, you know, we didn't expect to get here and here we are. So let's not look a gift horse in the mouth and let's literally listen to people that know much more about this business than us and see what happens. We put out right to rise. That separated our our previous existence to what was next in line for us. And we are a whole other version of fans that were to come. And then these guys from the full best fucker record, they were like, fuck you motherfuckers we were like yeah i uh, fuck us <laughs> but like you know let's just see what happens you know worst case scenario you got that full blast fuckery record though right and that turned into when i'm coming up to the darkest spaces ever we did the whole thing everything everything they wanted we we're a yes band you you're gonna go on tour with guar and you're gonna make 200 dollars a night and they're gonna play 30 shows in a row and it's gonna be 12 hours driving in between each show and we're like let's fucking do it we're gonna lose money let's fucking do it you know so at the end of all of that, some of us had had our had had of that record sale. We had a manager that we fired. Uh, we had a label who subsequently said, well, we won't take your next. Uh, we're not going to take your next option, whether that dude because we fired the boy or just because we literally weren't doing it as well as we we were supposed to be doing there. I don't know. However, it was the biggest blessing we could have had, because what had happened from there is we were free agents again. However, we had a broken, a, a broken man in our band and his name was Jason. Jason quit the band. And he was like, dudes, I, I have to figure my life out. I have some, some shit I'm going through, you know, with personal shit, family shit. And we respected that. But I asked him to, t- to, at that point in time, make me a promise to finish this. Cause we started writing, right. Yeah. Finish this next journey. And at this point now I'm writing, you know, like I'm writing just as much as Jason is, you know, and the guys are and stuff. And uh, we were just demoing, just towing it all. And I got a, uh, you know, he would always do the demos early because he was the one with Pro Tools and, and the computer. I ended up getting those tools. So I started writing as well. And then when Jason, I knew Jason was going to be out of, out of the band at that point in time, but he was going to finish this record. I was like, well, then I really want to take this into a, I want to use what our, what our, everybody knows us the the world the version of what people know us as humans as right and complement that in our music mm-hmm. a little bit of it all this a little bit of right to rise a little bit of fuck, full bus fuckery and then a little bit of us when we're in your living room sleeping on your floor and make the record that like essentially that that period of time is what I was getting to is that period of time between right to rise and in tasty nasty with Jason leaving the band and and us getting letting go of our managers and getting left on the side. Uh, from the label and not knowing what the future is looking look like and just being really scared, but kind of ambitious um, was really dark. It was really dark. Like who's going to, who's going to be Jason. He's like the fucking best guitar player. Like literally if you like Wilson or not, you know, Jason as like one of the best guitar and James, all the guys, incredible musicians, but who's going to fill this guy. He's the main guy. He started the fucking band. He's the only guy here and I'm next in line. So I was scared, but I just told everybody in Elson's band, like, just give him a space, let him do his thing. And um, we made a record. It got 
we got picked up new management that really got what the band was doing at that period of time. It was fans of us in the past, knew we were changing though. They were fans of us from the Full Blast Fuckery record, so they knew all of it. And then when that we met Scott Stevens while we were making the record, they suggested that we went to Scott and like did some some tracking with him. And we just became he got us, pulled the best version. Jason and I, you know, we were just there at, at first, and then Kyle came a few times, but the other guys in the band hadn't really met Scott yet. But there was a magic that was happening in this room when our three personalities came together. It became what was we we felt free and when we heard those the record back there was a moment in my mind and, and in in scott's mind and in our management's mind when they said i bet you jason doesn't quit and i was like i bet you he doesn't too i think he's gonna hear this record and he's gonna be really proud of it because i think it was his best work to be honest with you he can you can fucking dingling on a fucking guitar and slay a fucking solo all day long but when you're really exploring what it is to like create your own sonic craft that was his best work i watched him it was like he got and i think it was because he didn't give a fuck you know because he was gonna leave i don't have to deal with any of this shit this is fun it's <laughs> funny you know what i'm saying it's like the idea of what first full blast fuckery was back coming back around again but we made a pact when he did come back that if this doesn't work the way that we would like it to work. We aren't going to do this anymore. Mm. Wilson. Right. Just simply because we, the time has come. We've been in the trailer for three records, van and trailer for three records. Now, you know, we went up from making $250 a night to maybe a thousand bucks a night on tour, you know, and, and it, you might be like, wow, you make a thousand. It's, That's it's not, not shit. Dude. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> Nobody made any money from Wilson, you know? Yeah. So to kind of come back into that, I know that was a long tangent, but when we were in that dark spot, we knew we were going to end if this didn't work. And I thought it was working. Some of us thought it was working. But ultimately, the whole of us, it wasn't working somewhere, whether that was in their chest or like, I, I cannot suffer this broke shit anymore or, or I want to get married. You know, Kyle, Kyle ended up leaving the band in, in the summer yep. of 2019. And we had booked what we knew at that period of time. Kyle's last tour, but we told Kyle that he didn't have to do it. We went and did it as a four piece right before that tour started though, like two weeks, James and Jason came to me. I remember it very vividly. We went to the van outside of the practice space and they said, Hey man, this is it. This is going to be the last tour. Something else awesome comes up between now and what would they would call a, the label the record cycle we'll do it obviously but like if this if this means anything more past if this goes anywhere we're out you know and i said well i'm not gonna do this Pooey and i are just gonna do it without you guys you know right it's a big one so we did everything we needed to do we were the only people who knew that was going on with the band until and we couldn't announce it until pretty much like a month out from that show. Like I, and how it got started because we had a, a show booked with Coheed and Cambria at the Fillmore here in Detroit. And we couldn't announce this last show until that show played out just simply by the rules of yep. the contract, the show contract. contract we played. So when that show went away, we were finally able to talk about it. But during that period of time in the summer to December, knowing what was coming up, and I was super sad about it. Like, 
like I said, I was on a different space than the other guys. Like I'm looking at the social numbers. I'm looking at the streaming numbers and I might not see the bank account changing much from that, but I can see the growth when people start to hate what you're doing and then start to love what you're doing. And there's that pol- polar opposite happening. That Venn diagram becomes bigger, right? The version of how those two come together is bigger because one of these are lovers and one of these are haters. And as they widen, so does the middle, which are like fanatics. You know, I think they're the version of like hating and loving something is what drives the other two to be larger. Right. So the whole hole is getting bigger. And I'm just playing this mentally like a science game in my head. Like this is, this is working. We, we the next record we're going to put out, I think it's going to fucking crush. We might actually get to go into a situation where like, we're not opening a tour. We're direct support or we're in a van and trailer now. And now we're in a tour bus. Look, we can sleep and not think about dying, you know, every night. Um, but ultimately the whole didn't, and we need to respect that. So we came together with a plan and I said, Hey guys, and this comes back to the very, very beginning of what I said after full bus fuckery, severe disconnect from those periods of our lives. And in order to do what was right to the people who really got us to a space to even be noticed um, for what became right to rise, the, the, the legacy that was right to rise, moving to a label and all that, you can't just sprinkle in a few fucking full blast fuckery songs in a, in a right to rise set. We did it every night. You know, we know how that awkward that feels. It's like this song's called <laughs> Susie J. And then here's a song called right to rise or I am the fly, you know, opening up for Guar or Newstead or whatever. We're like, mm-hmm, yeah. So these people love those songs and these people love those songs. And it was too much for those things to exist together for it to be a clear picture of what Wilson was. So knowing that we knew that we needed to do something special for the full blast fucker ears, you know, and for that, our version of ourselves and be able to really, really go into that for the last time. So we thought about doing multiple days. One day was full blast fuckery in Lansing. And the other day at max bar, you know, is what we're talking about doing because that's where the band kind of really started, you know, uh, the other one and the vice versa for us, the band, it started in the pike room because that's where Wilson had played and I saw them and subsequently where Wilson would start to play much more uh, often moving on. So we just thought about the geolocations and, and, you know, what kind of like what we should do. And it just kind of was like, shit, guys, you guys just want to do two fucking banger sets in a night. And they were like, oh, no, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> and we like, but, but then again, here comes old Wilson. We're like, we'll fucking do it. You know, and that that two hundred dollar band chasing the Guar tour or whatever came back up. And like, yeah, of course, we wanted to play 30 songs when we've really never played more than 12 ever in a row in our life. And oh, yeah, of course, we want to do that in multiple locations with different gear and all the other shit. So when we thought about the space. Sorry, I'm talking a lot, but but this is where the space of the crowfoot can't comes in. There's, the ballroom isn't as separate. Uh, se- well, what, what would be the term? Isn't as special of a place for Wilson as the Pike Room is. Right. We, we played there a lot, but like it wasn't like it didn't define our career or something. Right. However, there's a bigger space, and there's a lot more fans of those other two band records than there were a full bus fuckery, at least tangible that we could see. And then we thought about what it looks like. We're like, we're not going to sell this bitch out. So we'll take, we'll close the ball, the uh, balcony out. We're thinking, because the bottom holds 800 people and the Crowfoot Pike Room holds 250. 
And uh, we're like, we'll put a, we'll put all our shit. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay off these bills? Right. If this thing doesn't sell any tickets, how are we going to pay off these bills? So we'll put our shit up here and people can buy it if they like backdrops, all the shit. What about who's going to take me? Fuck. I live in a one bedroom apartment here and then I live in a loft in in LA. You know, those are where I'm splitting my time. I don't have any, I don't want to carry this shit. So <clears throat> when we went on sale and then the pike room sold out and then pretty much two days after the ballroom sold out, we're like, Oh shit. Okay. So we got to kind of think about this guys. Like, how are we going to do this? And that's when we came up with the, with the idea of, Instead of selling this shit to keep it, we'll make it a special party, pre-party that we were going to do anyways in another room just so we could like hang out with people because we knew we weren't going to be able to uh, simply because of the timing of the sets and everything. Uh, we just decided like instead of taking that money, let's just do an auction and uh, give it all to charity. We chose, um, you know, Music Cares and for the... Uh, the mental depravity that musicians can go through and they don't have any health insurance. So giving some funds away uh, there seemed very appropriate, especially because someone like myself and went, we all went through a lot of shit, you know? Um, and then uh, the rest of it, we gave away to um, a uh, light, lighthouse, a, a chapter to help local folks um, that are hurting financially in Michigan and then those tickets sold out too. The pre-party tickets sold out. And we're like, okay, well, this is going to be weird. Moving on. Here we did the show. It was a fucking, we were there for three days. The first two days, like bringing in all the gear. Cause we wanted to make sure that we didn't have to take gear from the stage up to the pike room. And we wanted to make sure that that cleared, it, you know, we had a plan, you know, how the flow of traffic was going to work. And then the second day we built out, we did our, our rehearsal and we built out the, uh, decked up up top of the crowfoot ballroom in the balcony to, to have the uh, auction items and then the next day we woke up came there and we were there from like fucking 1 12 p.m in the afternoon till 5 a.m that morning and when was that was the last i was the last person to leave i had a van the van full of all the leftover gear shit that wasn't you know going with the band guys and because i was going to sell as much as i could to pay because i had the van you know uh, we just bought a brand new van and that uh was underneath my name and i had to sell some of that shit to pay some of that down yeah man i mean i don't know if that was just a lot but it kind of gives you the whole picture i think of why it happened where it happened and why and also um how we felt that did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely, you did. Um, that's why I didn't say anything to ruin your train of thought or anything, like I've been known to. And there were a couple of jokes I wanted to make throughout there as you were setting them up, but I let them be. Um, Dick stuff, I, I assume. Uh, yeah, there's there's just jokes that I popped up, and I was like, I could say something, but I've done that, and then it ruins the person's train of thought. So I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> um, so you know, you're over at this point a year removed from from this set you've obviously lived with it in the mixing and mastering stage of pr putting out this record um what is the band and and i guess more important or i guess let me flip the question around what is this show this last show and more importantly what does the band mean to you now that you've had a full year to kind of decompress from it 
2020, like most of us, uh, I would have to say a good chunk of our, a good chunk of the folks in, in the world down and out. Um, if I could be a little bit dark here and say it, it was the worst, just, worst year of my life um, for many reasons. Uh, one of them being who the fuck am I now? You know, uh, directly after this show, I went to the Philippines for a month for my friend that was getting married. So I was excited about that. Uh, he had, upon leaving to the Philippines, a, a volcano exploded as we were in the plane, come, you know, flying out of the airport to the Philippines uh, from the U.S. And we're like, holy shit, right? We get there and and uh, it was, we were in Manila, you know, and that was the island that they were getting married on. And uh, we were like, fuck, you know, especially Kim, uh, my girlfriend, at the t- we were at the time, we were like, um, how is this going to play out? Are we stuck here now? You know, moving from that, this is, is kind of like encapsulating this idea of what what life is. So we were both, uh, but I've been there before. Like I, well, I went to Bali and, you know, I, I know that like we're in the fucking air that this airplane is going to land. If we were, if we couldn't land there, they would redirect us. Right. Right. Uh, so because there was a damage, we got there and we, it was, it was crazy, but the people of the Philippines weren't crazy. This happens to them all the time. It was shitty that their Island that the, the literal island that they were going to get married on had the volcano explosion. And now we as friends and everybody are put pulling together to work out a plan for their wedding. And it went off. We went to a new, new location and it was a great month. We traveled around together as a group and we came home when we came home, I did the ship. I, uh, uh, it was my first year not performing on the ship, Still ship right. rock the cruise. Uh, but as a, uh, or a stowaway, it, it was me hosting. Like, literally, like, the, this guy that, like, gets to still do something that I was doing before by because of the virtue that uh, through Wilson. So, it's like, this is all good. You know, this is, this, is, this is an experience, right? I'm okay with this. And this is in February, by the way. I, after the ship, I come home, and I just moved into this new place here in Michigan where my shit was in a storage unit for through November and December. And I was living in Airbnbs in hotels uh, just because so, I didn't want to go back to Los Angeles because I wanted, I needed to be here for all the rehearsals and everything for, for Wilson and family and shit. So it sucked. I was alone, alone in, in, so there's a lot of darkness going on. Right. And then I had this moment of the end of Wilson. It, it was like, shit, but here's this, like the world's your oyster, man. You're going to the Philippines and you're going to get on this cruise ship. And then I come home from February and I get to move my shit in finally into this new place. And I started putting my pieces together and I was going to be here for like a month and I was going back out in middle of March to LA. And then, you know, I was going to, I was still, my job was at the Crowfoot. I still had, and I moved into new, new areas there doing comedy and podcasts instead of live music shit. I was pretty excited about it. And then in February, um, my ex-girlfriend was murdered. Uh, so like two weeks, uh, let, sorry, 10 days after I was home from the ship, um, I found out that she was murdered. And then the following week, our front, our last front of house tour manager, Kelly, who was the, la- the last um, touring guy that we had on the, our last touring staff that we had on the road as Wilson. Uh, he, he died uh, unexpectedly. And I 
was like, what the fuck's going on? And then I went out to Feb to LA for what was going to be just a business trip. It turned into meeting, turned into having a wake for uh, my ex-girlfriend who lived out in Los Angeles. Uh, and then while I, when I landed in Los Angeles, two days later, um, the world stopped and I'm alive. I'm in the, not only as a band guy, I had this plan with a van, by the way, where the van and I would travel around the U S from, um, May to November last year, making a record. I was rebuilding out the van to be have a recording studio as well as serving some free popsicles called Nicicles. I was going to all the festivals and giving out my popsicles. And then my friends that were playing, we were going to come into the van. We're going to make a record. I was going to document it, cameras in the fucking van, and we're going to pitch it to, to Vice, right? We had some good leads. I was like, this is going to be a fucking killer year. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, after Wilson ends, this is all management still on board. Everybody on the team is like, we're going to be there with you, Chad. You know, that sort of shit. And then then coming home, like I said, death, death, come to L.A., stuck. World's not happening. Job? Oh, that's not happening either? Because I was going to be able to work. I like always as in Wilson for fifth to 12 years that I 13 years I've been a talent buyer. 12 of them I was in uh, 11 of them I was in Wilson too so like i was working in, in internationally traveling it's just how my job worked but that's gone and i'm just st- sitting there like what the fuck is going on and then then obviously what we've all seen is play that played out it turned into a really fucking dark place like mentally more i am so scared i'm scared you know like i, I don't know who i am i just lost the one thing that defined me that i didn't really want to end but i was peace with it but because i knew that like this other world of excitement was coming uh, it was even happier that like i could challenge myself in a new way and that wasn't going to happen and it really to be honest with you dude like coming back home when i could finally come home because like i said i just moved into this apartment too and i was stuck coming back home and getting that text message from josh with that song link to wilson it brought me right back there but it was a different feeling it was like, for the first time, I felt like that darkness all, it put me in a space that I needed to get, be in, in general. And Wilson, though all of the great things that we had done and achieved, and as any band guy will ever tell, person, I should say, will ever tell you, like, those are some of the fucking most important things that, like, you you strive for that Wilson got to do. I mean, we got to do some fucking gnarly shit for being like not even that big of a band, you know? Um, And it came with a lot of hurt and it came with a lot of moments that felt like at the end of it, like why the fuck did I do all of that? Like I lost every person I ever was close with. I mean, my best friend, my, that I made all of those music videos with, uh, and who is one of the biggest supporters? And we, we we cut ties to it, you know. That's why I was living in out of my hotels and in Airbnbs, you know, um, based based upon everything else that was going on. I'm like, why did I do all this? But it was really, it was really for something much bigger than me, you know. And that wreck, this record, and that moment of hearing that song and understanding is like, you didn't do it for yourself, you fucking idiot, you know. This isn't about you. Like it hasn't been about you this entire time. You're you're super privileged enough to have these moments happen to you and to not be dead. 
from it and you're learning now. So listen instead of talk. You know, it fucking suck. Suck to listen to myself for the first time. <laughs> um, I hate to cut it short. I know you got someone coming up in like the next five minutes and I've been on the other side of when someone takes more than their time. Yeah. Um, I hate to put a pin in it. I could go down this avenue with you for a little while longer and I would love to another time if you're willing. Um, yeah, I'll, of course, man. When I'm done, when you're done, send me a text because I, I want to tell you something that happened to me that that's kind of why I'm kind of why I'm trying not to cry right now um, that happened to me yesterday. And uh, so it's almost very serendipitous, as it always is when you and I get to talk to each other. There's dick and fart jokes. We make wildly inappropriate things we say. Um, but it's one of the reasons that I love you as a very close friend and someone who is always seemingly coming in and out of my life when I, I fucking need you the most. Uh, whether it's you, whether it's the band, whatever it is, um, anytime I've ever needed you, you guys are always there. Um, so it felt very serendipitous when I got this email about this record that I was like, need to have you guys on and kind of bookend at least this chapter of Wilson um, as it exists now. Um, so with that being said, um, put a pin on it. We'll, we'll uh, pick up back up this conversation at some other point in time. And uh, where can people find you or whatever uh, endeavor you would like to plug? My address is 2920. <laughs> I love you, Dan, man. You know, I love you. And I, I hope you know that, you know, not to, to dishevel this any further, but there's not many people that I can think of in my, in my life that, have cared so immensely about something, not just Wilson, it's not about Wilson, but about music, about, about art, about the story, about, about how, how to propel it. When you see something and when you know what you like, you know, what you like very, very clearly. There's one person in the world that I could say like, yeah, who knows what they like? I'm like, that motherfucker knows exactly what he likes, you know, and <laughs> you get behind it so much and you do something for people that love what you love and vice versa, even if they don't, even if they don't love what you love that I wish the world had more of it in. So uh, you can find me anytime that you'd like to find me, John, as far as everybody who's listening. Um, I'm, uh, you know, like I'm on the socials at Chad nice field on all those regular things. The record uh, is dump truck live is out. Now you can listen to it on all the DSPs, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, all that shit. And the the record will, will have some cool little um, moments that'll come out along the along the way. So I hope people are paying attention. If if you're ever a fan of Wilson, um, we um, I love you more than you'll probably ever know because uh, as a shitty kid from Port Huron, Michigan, who only had a dream and played VFW halls and had to rent its own sound system just to have shows when I was 14 and 15 years old, um, being able to do what my dreams always painted for me is not because of myself. It's because of you. So thanks. Thank you. And good night. Thanks. I'll see you, man. See ya. So that is my conversation with Chad Nicefield of Wilson. Again, their record. So long. Good night is going to be out next week. As of when you're listening to this, uh, you can pre-save it at this point. I think they might be doing some CDs. 
Um, nothing too special. I think it'd just be like literally a jacket with the CD in it. Um, but I think they're trying to figure out if the pre-order is going to be worth it to do. So they're not sitting on uh, product as they're not a band, but head on over to Wilson's Facebook page. Uh, and you can see that as a potential option. Uh, if you're so inclined anyway, just pre-save the record. Um, it's a really great record. Um, I've seen the band live so many times over the last decade. And it's one of those things where, you may not like some of the songs on the record or whatever, but I will be damned if you will ever go to a Wilson show and not have a good fucking time. It's how they win everybody over. It's the old school way to win people over. And I think it is what has endeared them to so many people. Very much like this conversation, actually. It starts off, you know, like I said, really vulgar. And, you know, Dirty Dennis shows up and we're, we're going back and forth and, you know, just kind of having fun. And then, you know, we find some realness in there as we kind of talk about this last year or so and how chad's kind of been dealing with it and so as you heard some of the very really serious things that have happened to him and i think is kind of a snapshot of maybe what a lot of people have gone through i mean i'm not necessarily going to say that everyone is knows what it's like to have someone that means a lot to them be like literally murdered but I think we've all dealt with a lot of loss um, this last year, loss of jobs, loss of families, loss of, you know, social interactions with friends and things. And it's definitely something I've realized that I've been very lucky having this podcast where I don't necessarily have some of those same things uh, happening, where I at least get to communicate and interact with people more consistently than I would say some others. So sometimes this podcast is an excuse just to have my friends on and, and have time to talk and hang out with my friends. Chad is one of those people. And at the very end, you know, it, I, you can literally hear me getting choked up uh, talking about uh, something that I had gone through the night before you know so when chad's kind of talking about everything and just how the music was able to kind of bring it all back and and kind of make up for a little bit of the shittiness of 2020 it's one of those things where i definitely knew where he was coming from with that and uh you know you could hear it in his voice too that's that's the power of music that's that's why we all love this thing you know as he said you don't do this for yourself you do it for every other fucking person I don't sometimes do this for me. I enjoy the conversations, but I hope that at the end, there's something someone will take away who's listening to this, and maybe it's the piece they need. Maybe it's the piece they needed to hear. Maybe it's some perspective that they haven't thought of. At the very least, maybe it's just a fucking escape for an hour or two from maybe something that you're going through. It's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, full transparency on this. Just, you know, it's something I've kind of wanted to bring up. Um, you know, this last year has been kind of hard on everybody. Um, I ended up hitting a point where I realized I needed some help and I reached out and got, a got a therapist that I see now, uh, once a week. And it's been really good for me, um, to kind of work through some shit. Um, I definitely think, you know, we, we always talk about mental health being a thing that we all think should be destigmatized and so forth. And is definitely something for me where, I'm not afraid to say that I go. Um, it's been really good for me. And even at the very least, if you don't necessarily know what you're going to say or don't want to feel like a burden or whatever, which is how I felt, it's kind of nice just having someone who knows none of the things or people that you're talking about and is taking things in basically at face value to assess like your quote unquote problem and help you work through it. The journey uh, through this is, is very new. Um, so I have no idea where it's going to go, but there are things that where I've already noticed in the last two and a half weeks of going that it's made me 
identify some behaviors that I needed to change uh, for the betterment of me and, and other people and setting boundaries and so forth. Um, so I, I mean, all things so far are, are pointing that it's, it's, it's doing well, it's doing what it needs to. So if you have kind of had the same year that everyone else has, I would strongly encourage everyone to uh, maybe reach out, see if maybe having a therapist uh, and talking to someone is something that would be beneficial to you. Um, the great thing that this pandemic has done and, and technology has allowed us all to connect with people and not have to leave the comfort of our home. So I have really enjoyed that. So I, I kind of wanted to speak on that just a little bit. I know Dan and I have talked about uh, some of our, our pasts and things that we've worked through previously on the podcast. And, and this kind of was a reminder between all things of, of that for me. So um, if you, you need some help, don't be afraid to reach out and get some professional help. There's no shame in that. Uh, speaking of no shame, I'm going to shamelessly plug uh, Wilson and the record again and our sponsors. So if you would like to keep up with Wilson, it's simple. Wilson parties across the board, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to keep up with Chad, it is easy. Instagram and Twitter at Chad Nicefield. Again, the record so long. Good night live is out this upcoming week. And you can pre-save it still. Head on over to the band's uh, socials. There will be links aplenty over there. Support those dudes. It's a great record. Um, while you're there, check out the video they put out for uh, Dump Truck. Uh, basically just a collage of videos uh, that they've acquired over the years of them playing live. So sad to see them go. Hopefully maybe this will inspire them to maybe kind of come back in some capacity in a couple years. You could never say a band is officially done uh, anymore. So... Um, thanks to Chad and the Wilson dudes as always. And for the podcast, uh, if you'd like to keep up with us, it's very simple. Uh, go to brewspeakpod.com. That is the landing page for everything for this podcast. Uh, simple enough. Anything you want, the new episodes, links to YouTube, links to our online merch store, all of that is there. It is so easy. Um, I think a caveman can do it is what they say. So uh, if that's not offensive to you, I would highly suggest doing that. So if you want to head on over to the YouTube channel and uh, check out Chad and I having this conversation, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. It seems like a lot of you are really enjoying the video versions of these things, and we're enjoying uh, a lot of people finding these interviews. So uh, greatly appreciated. Leave in the comments. Rate, review, subscribe, as everyone always says. Uh, Dan can be found over on Discography Discussion at Daniel Terry on Facebook at Discuss Metal Dan on Twitter. Just head over to Discography Discussion on all socials, and you will uh, see that and then links to the newest episodes. Uh, so having fun over there. Hopefully you guys are enjoying me being a part of that. And uh, I'm enjoying having our sponsors on. Um, I'm loving my Throwdown hoodie. I've been wearing the shit out of it. So I want to thank Rockabilia.com, uh, the landing place for over 500,000 online items. All the garments and everything you see on that store are 100% officially licensed. So you don't have to worry about the integrity of these products. You know they're going to be good. They're, the graphic isn't going to like wash off after one fucking wash. Um, it's super great. And I love, you know, just the expansiveness of some of the collections they have. You know, I have a throwdown hoodie from, I think it looks like maybe the Hay, maybe after Haymaker uh, album. But like, and every time I die hoodie that I also got that is clearly from around like the, uh, gutter phenomenon kind of era so you know a lot of cool older stuff that's hard to find now so shout out to rockabilia.com and don't forget to use our code brew and get 10 percent off your total purchase uh, i want to thank rockabilia for supporting us uh, frank is coming on the podcast uh, the owner co-owner of rockabilia soon um, scheduling has just been a nightmare with the holidays and so forth so i think he's just about out of holiday season so he can come on to the show and we can pick his brain and talk about some video games and you know merch and all that kind of stuff and working with bands so uh, again rockabilia.com use our code brew get 10 percent off your total purchase 
order. And shout out to The Bean Bastard. Get you some delicious coffee. Head on over to TheBeanBastard.com. Uh, Facebook and Instagram at The Bean Bastard. A lot of great things going on. If you're a coffee connoisseur, you'll definitely want to follow them and see like all the workings of them roasting the beans and all the kind of stuff. They're even bringing back some of their uh, their older blends, uh, like the Panama blend after Eddie Van Halen had passed away. A lot of cool stuff. Still uh, still need to get in touch with those guys and, and figure out a podcast blend. don't necessarily know what I would want it to be, but I'm excited to do something that kind of uh, lives up to the name of the show. So thank those guys and gals and all everybody. <clears throat> so I want to thank those so I want to thank the Bean Bastard, and last but not least is On Point Palmade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and get 15% off your total purchase order. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thanks to Chad for once again coming on and having a great conversation with me. And thank you to all of you uh, for continually coming back and listening to these episodes. It means the world to us. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will talk to you all next week with Dan as we welcome another podcaster, Mr. Dewey Halpus of the Peer Pleasure Podcast. We'll see you then.